you can be big-headed and say, yeah, we're going to last 10 years. But as soon as you've said that, you think, you know, we're lucky if we last three months, you know. I suppose one of the things you associate with fame is this weird sort of tension between all the adulation and success and the essential loneliness of your position, right? And I think this picture really encapsulates that. I think he's too wrapped up in what he's going through to even notice the photographer or the the click of the shutter. The main thing I think about when I see this picture is just how happy John looks. You know, just how big his smile was. There's quite a lot of unpacking that needed to be done here. He was looking for something else all the time, searching for something. This guy is a rebel. It was scary, you know, because the FBI was everywhere. John does think he's got a unique view on the world, but he doesn't think he's going to become world famous. John had a lot of baggage, and Yoko just took care of the noise of the world around him. She just stepped into that void and stood out in front. Oh, gosh. Married bliss, that was. I love this. Because he's so honest, he sort of affirms the fact that there might be no such thing as superstars or icons. You know, everyone's a human being. Welcome to this week's When They With Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm Lonnie Pena. I'm back for another show. Hey, all right. <laughs> Come full circle, right? <laughs> it's like every three shows, maybe, now. We lose count. You miss out on the back half of the, our look back at 2023, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I listened to Sam Wiles and, and Darren <laughs> Murphy. Yeah, Sam's a wild guy. Darren accepted it, but that's okay. <laughs> Whatever gets you through the night, right? Somebody on our Facebook group wasn't real happy with it. But as I say, just be glad you didn't have to listen to the unedited version. This is a showcase podcast, folks. <laughs> we have no expense here. Literally, there's no expense. So what's new this week? At least some Walmarts. You and I have gone around and looked in our Walmarts and haven't found one yet. I look high. I look low. I looked everywhere I go. I look high. I look low. I look in everywhere I go. 
and I couldn't find what we were looking for. That's another oh. band. That's the police. Oh, okay. What is come out early in these Walmarts is a mega block set. I guess those are kind of like Legos, but not quite. It's not Legos. It's kind of like Legos, I think. It is like it, but it's not affiliated. They don't have the lego trademark on there so what it is is it's a brick set and it is for sale on the beatles site and it's called the beatles by mega ladies and gentlemen the beatles set for 80 bucks we did have previously the uh real lego yellow submarine and and that was kind of a cool kit yeah that's going for a few dollars now i think on ebay couple of hundred bucks, two or three hundred dollars. It was right about a hundred when we bought it, wasn't it? Was it? I guess. This one is 80. What it is, is it's a copy of the Ed Sullivan stage. Ooh, which one? The arrows set. The arrows? Ooh, that is nice, I bet. Is any moving parts? The Beatles figures are apparently fully articulated. You've got a working light, and then you got a little camera which you can move around. No, get out. Really? Sweet. They don't have a guy in a chair which can swing around, but if they did, that would have been really cool. Maybe you can build your own as an add-on. Yeah, and you said there were there were working lights? Yeah, there are working lights. Like what kind of lights? LEDs? Nothing too, too big. It's not going to set your house on fire, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, that's pretty cute. I like that. I want one. The official release date is in February for the anniversary of the Sullivan Show. Okay. The Beatles store is saying that they're not going to ship theirs until March. I guess there were rumors that they were being seen and sold at Walmart. Yeah, I mean, some people have actually bought their copies. I went to a couple of Walmarts already, and to no avail, nothing. But I'm still looking. Just pre-order it. You'll get it soon enough. Kit O'Toole mentioned that she bought herself a birthday present, so she she is on the pre-order list, and she is waiting for its arrival. I guess I could order it, and then if I come across one at Walmart, then I can keep that one. You could sell it to me if you come across one at Walmart. <laughs> oh, listen to you, Ed. Listen to you. <laughs> I, haven't, sure. I haven't pre-ordered, but if, if you end up with two, I will buy one <laughs> off of you. Okay. It may be marked up a little bit, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't decided whether I'm going to buy one. I, I might, but I mean, the time to put it together, it's several hundred pieces. <laughs> buy one, buy one, buy one. <laughs> if I bought it, the other thing is I may just leave it in the box, you know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Buy two, you leave one in the box and you build one, huh? Yeah. One of us can open the box and then we can have a Beatles put together mega block party. <laughs> we can do a show as we assemble it, huh? Exactly. <laughs> That's the newest toy, and that is something which has excited a lot of people. The only kind of goofy thing is the guitars are huge. (laughs) Overly large. Or or the bodies are small, not proportioned. So so the minifigs are like two inches tall. So that gives you an idea. The Beatles are, you know, six foot in real life. You can scale from that. The minifigs are like two inches tall, but they each have a guitar strapped on them, and those guitars are... Like half their body. Okay. Overly large. And on the Beatles site, they let you know the 
So instruments are swappable. So if you want to do Helter Skelter, John, playing oh, on Paul's okay. softer, you can do that. I could do that. And then just put the uh, right-handed guitar on Paul and put it upside down. There you go. Paul can play it either way, right? Paul can play it either way. He so, doesn't have to change the strings. So 11 by 10 <laughs> by 7 are the dimensions listed on the site. We'll let you know. Lonnie is buying one for sure. And I'm leaning toward actually buying one, I think. Maybe we'll do that. We'll, we will build one of them, and then we'll keep the other in the box. We'll let you know next show, or maybe <laughs> a couple of shows down the road. Well, the next show you're going to be on probably is the Band on the Run Underdubbed. Yes. Which is coming up in a couple weeks. When you're getting this, we're you know into the third week in January, so we're only a couple weeks away from the release of the 50th anniversary band on the run that's right and i pre-ordered mine and i'm just waiting for my cd and my vinyl to arrive new posters yay yay it's all these beatles toys we're getting post christmas <laughs> <laughs> you've already put out the money for the kids you've already paid your taxes uh, property taxes in texas are due in january so whatever you have left you can spend on toys after we pay more taxes <laughs> <laughs> There's always more taxes. Tax man. Those aren't until April, though. True. So, all right. Our topic for this week, the BBC has a documentary series that it is calling Life in Ten Pictures. So I did not know this existed until you told me about it, Ed. A picture is worth a thousand words. I love this photograph. You can see it in her eyes. She's lighting up. And for these extraordinary celebrities... He was a very strong personality. Just a handful of images changes how we see them. There's a disguise going on here. Profound sadness. From iconic photos to private snapshots. He could be himself and be comfortable. It's a life in ten pictures. Yeah, they've had two seasons so far. The first season included figures like Amy Winehouse, Muhammad Ali, and John Lennon. Yeah, that's right. Now, you do have to subscribe. The first season, which includes the John Lennon documentary, is free on Amazon Prime. Is it? Okay. Uh, the second season, you have to subscribe and get the free trial that includes a bunch of other interesting figures carrie fisher and robin williams for example well it might be worth subscribing for a few months the entire first season of this documentary is free for those of us who have amazon prime i appreciate you mentioning that to me and we'll talk a little bit more about it here it's a different way to look at biography the bbc went out and selected 10 photos from throughout the life of this person. And I don't necessarily agree with some of these photos they chose for John well, Lennon. Well, true. You know, some of them are essential, but some of them are like, I don't know if I would have chosen that one. <laughs> and I got a feeling I know which one you probably. <laughs> there, there's one in particular which they chose. But I mean, even some of the other ones are like, yeah. well, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but there's some good ones, though. Most of them are pretty good. Most of them are pretty good, and some of them are just they definitely have to be there. Every picture tells a story. <laughs> That's also another band. <laughs> That's Well, he wrote a song for Rod Stewart, did he not, Paul, back in the 70s? Mine for me. <laughs> but at least as far as the Lennon one goes, each of these photos sort of leads to a bunch of 
accounts from various yeah. people. It, it leads to a number of stories. And then in between, you get a narrator who kind of says, and then between this photo and this photo, all this other stuff happened. And you kind of get it in chronological order between 19 whatever, 40 something through obviously 1980. You know, it starts with just a quick overview. You kind of get a little glimpse of all the photos and you get a little bit of dialogue from each of the talking heads that you're going to see from throughout the documentary. Here's who's going to be in this. So I recognize that face. I recognize that face. Gee, oh, I wonder what that guy's going to say. I was really happy to see the uh, the talking heads on here, the folks speaking about it. When you see Mark Lewison... <laughs> <laughs> on here, you know it's going to be a solid show. And then some other folks that came on, it's like, wow. I got some good, solid figures as far as people you'd want to talk about, John Lennon. So as you just noted, once we get past the opening credits, the camera pulls in on a bald-headed fellow in a very smart-looking black shirt. And we are told that he is Mark Lewison. We love Mark Lewison. He is just awesome. My name is Mark Lewison and I'm a writer and I've come to specialise in writing about the Beatles. It's a subject that I've studied pretty much all my life. I got sold on the show right then and there. So, okay, this is some serious stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we get a glimpse of the, the copy of John's birth certificate. He tells you who he is for those who don't know, although we got to remember this is aimed at a general audience of which a significant percentage probably haven't read Tune In and don't necessarily know who Mark Lewis is. Yeah, you're so right. So who's this guy? But, you know, solid Beatle people know who he is. And, uh, Absolutely. Certainly. So Elissa's mission is being, I want to understand and make sense of it and actually ensure it's gone right and not gone wrong with regards to the history. Yeah, and he certainly has done a great job at that. Just waiting for volume two. <laughs> Which is another story. <laughs> and Mark Lewis and Wise, we are not the ACOM ladies. We yeah. have no issues with Mark. No, not at all. Mark <laughs> does have his biases, and you know we understand that. Everybody does. Everybody likes one Beatle more than the others. But I think Mark treats all four of them very fairly. Yes, he does. From Mark, we go into the very first photo. It is the... Very famous photo of John and Julia. It is the only photo of the two of them together. I'm a little bit surprised there aren't any infant photos of when John was actually living with Julia. Yeah, I was surprised to hear about that. I thought there were several others, but apparently not. There's a bunch with some of the sisters, but they're not lying to us. Yeah. There may be one where like John is in the background or something with one of the other kids. But in general, this is the only one where they are actually together. I guess they're on a grassy lawn. Rock Ferry, 1949. So John is nine years old. Wonderful picture. They're laughing. They're happy. John is squinting because he's looking directly into the sun. Yeah, apparently so. And Julia is like tickling him or something. <laughs> Trying to make him smile, trying to make him laugh. Yeah, and uh, so It's a beautiful photograph, and, I, and it's the only one of them, of him and his mother. They use that to give us a little bit of the background on John and Julia and Mimi. Yeah, there were a few pictures that, just a very few that I've never seen before. Obviously, I think anyone who has any interest in John at all, and you're listening to this podcast, you would. You've seen this picture a number of times. Most notably, it features heavily in the beginning of the Imagine John Lennon doc. Right. They go back to this picture because, again, well, it's the only real photo of John and Julia together. Yeah. Even if there are, like, a baby picture, it's a baby picture. 
It's not like in this photo, the nine-year-old John is very definitely John Lennon. Yeah. Is the kid who's going to be the man. They haven't colorized this one yet, have they? They've colorized everything. If they haven't, they will now. I don't know that it really needs to be colorized. The copy in the documentary is a very good copy. Most of them are a little bit muddy, but they've got a really clean copy, a fairly low-generation copy, I would say. Yeah, they did a good job at this. I'm just thinking, when was this episode broadcast? Was it something like really recent? 2022. It's been around a while. Two years ago now, since we are in 2024. You know, 18 months ago was when they broadcast the... Uh, first series and then the second series came out roughly last summer i haven't seen whether there's a third series or not i would really like to see them do one of these on paul actually yeah maybe still it's that immediate post-war period you know there's still rationing going on it was always said he was born during an air raid in fact there were sirens but i don't think there was actually a raid but it was the bombs were dropping on liverpool liverpool was very badly damaged His parents, Julia Stanley as she was, and Alfred Lennon, never had a conventional marriage. They were unconventional people in every way, and their marriage was certainly part of that. While Mark is telling us some of these stories, we get the typical, here's Liverpool in the 40s, bombed out houses, and what the environment was like. Yeah, well, certainly there was air raids going on. Mark tells that story is that... Mimi likes to say that John was born in the middle of a bombing attack, but we now know that that's probably not the truth. It was close enough, though. So we see kids running around, bombed out playgrounds and such. Two things it reminded me of was, you know, we get that little bit in the Free as a Bird video. Oh, that's right. Then the other thing is right at the beginning of Birth of the Beatles. It's stock footage, you know, obviously. It may not even be Liverpool. You never know. But somewhere in London. It is implied to be Liverpool, let's put it that way. I like Mark's gentle description of Julia. She continued to lead a lifestyle that was that of a single woman. (laughs) Very mildly put. He's tiptoeing around it, but you know what he's saying. Yeah. Although, you know, once she got with Twitchy, I think she was pretty faithful to him, as far as I know. Yeah. But uh, I like the way he said it, too, and his eyes just kind of wander the room. (laughs) They had this child, but Alf Lennon was off at sea. He was a merchant seaman. So Julia did raise John, but she continued to lead a lifestyle that was that of a single woman. Then this moves on to Mike McCartney. Mike just put out on Facebook that he was in hospital for his uh, 80th birthday. He's been released. Oh, good. He has had some trouble. If you are Facebook friends with him, you may want to wish him well. This lends additional credit to the show when you see people like this, you know, with Mark Lewis and Mike McCartney and a few others that are on here. It's like, wow, this is incredible TV show, yeah. Mike tells the story of when he first met John Lennon and how John looked tough, but he looked so cool. Father McCartney didn't particularly like it. (laughs) Not at all. Mike had very much the same reaction that Paul did. I mean, we've heard Paul talking about when, you know, the early days of John, it was just, oh, he's this really cool older guy. Well, he was a teddy boy. He, He dressed like a teddy boy. He wasn't an actual teddy boy. Yeah. Ringo is the teddy boy. Yeah. Ringo is the one who had to go out and join the gangs. So Ringo is the real teddy boy. Uh, I am 77 years of age and I've come here to talk to you about a 
photograph what I took and about an old mate of mine called John Lennon. <laughs> this was my cousin Ian and Jackie's wedding in Heighton, Liverpool. So uh, this was like a joyous occasion where they were allowed to put on their jacket, shirt and tie, uh, look good. And so it captures a moment in time of hope, of innocence. This is not the famous color photo of the young Beatles. It is an alternate from the John Paul George and Dennis photo session. I guess I've seen this before. It was yeah. brand new at that point in time. Okay. You know, we've only had this for about two and a half, three years. The first time it came out was in Mike's Genesis book. Okay. His early Liverpool and lots of new photos of John and Paul. You know, I think he didn't even know about it. He either went back and redeveloped some photos and this was on there, or he rediscovered the print somewhere. Yeah, but it's something new. For the point they're trying to make, I kind of would have gone with the photo we all know. At least we could see George's face with the other photo. George has his back towards you. I like the fact that the gray suit jacket he's looking looks remarkably like the Pierre Cardin 1964 Beetle jacket. Oh, it does. You know, for the it, front, it doesn't. But in this photo, if you haven't seen it, Paul is kind of in the background making a slightly goofy face. It looks like he's on a chair setting down. On a settee is what it looks like a to settee. me. John's up strumming his guitar. It looks like he's tuning up and half of John's face is covered by the back of George, partially obscured by George Harrison there. Was this colorized or is this is a color photo? No, no, this is a color photo. The John Paul George and Dennis photo is in color. Yeah. You see their rosy cheeks, literally. That's how young they were. 58? You know, this was 1958. 58. So yeah. I think I would have chosen the more famous photo, but this is you know kind of a nice action shot. The point they're making is that John was well into the guitar at this point in his life. You know, here, as opposed to the other, the more famous one, John is actually getting ready to play the guitar. Absolutely. And the show is about John. So. That's one of my other yeah. complaints is that they actually managed to give the Beatles a little bit of short shrift, which is kind of amazing when you're doing the John Lennon story. You got 10 photos. Five of them are post-1970. Oh, okay. So I didn't count them up. You count them up. Good job. I can count to 10. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And backwards. <laughs> and backwards. <laughs> so, and, in, and in Spanish, too, because I heard you speak Spanish, Ed. I know Uno, now. Dos, tres. There you go. Despite the fact that I would have gone with the more famous photo, this is a good photo, and this is very much a good representation of John Lennon in his late teens. Beautiful boy. <laughs> so we get Helen Anderson to kind of bridge us through the art school years. First day at art school, going to our first painting class. And before I walked in the door, this strange-looking, scruffy-ish, Tony Curtis, big quiff, came towards me like this and said, Hey, are you the girl that painted Lonnie Donegan? And I said, yes, why? He said, because if you are, I'm going to be your mate for life. <laughs> And um, it was because um, when I've just finished at Liverpool Junior Art School, I had a commission to paint a portrait of Lonnie Donegan. I was only 16. Lonnie Donegan was a big hero for John. And so we became close friends. You know, she went to art school with John. She was really, really good friends with him. And there's a number of drawings that she made of 
John and Paul and George. So, you know, she was sitting there when they would come over and practice in the lunchroom. She was the girl that sit right behind John in classroom. Yeah, exactly. And she tells that story. Okay. She would sit behind John and amongst the things that John would ask her to do would be to do his hair up. What do they call it? A A DA, (laughs) a a duck's arse. I guess that was the teddy boy look. They they all wore variations of it. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, John couldn't do it by himself. So he asked Helen Anderson to do it. And she did. And the classroom as well. <laughs> and that got Cynthia jealous. That's right. Cynthia was also in school with them, art college. Exactly. And, you know, she, she became good friends with all of them. And, and we will hear a bit more from Helen Anderson. Beetle-wise, she would be the one who would design that Hard Day's Night cap that John wore. Okay. Yeah. She was on here a couple of times. So She went on and did a lot of fashion design, and there she was. Very solid figure. We've been trying to get Helen on. You know, I've talked to her a while back. We just haven't managed to make it happen. Okay. Would you ran into her at the Walmart or where? <laughs> yeah, that's right. She was just walking around Walmart. She was just walking around Walmart looking for the <laughs> fake Lego Sullivan set. At the fest for Beetle fans? or No. Uh, someone put me in touch with her. And, okay. You know, so I, it's been a year or so. I mean, I, I talked to her a couple times. We just never managed to make it happen and we really should try and make it happen really should all right ed you're just you're keeping (laughs) things from me (laughs) well remember you weren't part of the show for a little while okay but we're still in close proximity (laughs) again we weren't in close proximity for a little while there as well well true 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 mark then tells the story of julia from his mid-teens onwards he kind of formed a much closer relationship with her in his teenage years julia taught him to play the banjo So they became closer, and in fact, when rock and roll happened, she was an Elvis fan. So John could go there and and talk about Elvis, and she could teach him the chords to songs. And right there, in the midst of that period of time when John is suddenly really becoming closer to his mother, she was run down and killed. In a car accident on the street right outside the house that John was living in with his Aunt Mimi. In fact, from John's bedroom window, he would always be able to look down on the spot where his mother had been run down and killed. And he was wrecked. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad, you know. The point they make that looking out of John's window, he could see that corner. It's not something I'd ever thought of, but I guess it's true. You've been in the house. Yeah, I was in his little room. Out that window, out to that corner, really is just a couple blocks. Not yeah, I mean, even. You look out, it's it's looking out in front of the house and, yeah, look, and looking out in front of Menlo. Th- that corner where she, yeah. where she was walking toward the bus stop, and there you go. Yeah. I gives Helen a chance to talk about how Julia's death changed John Lennon and brought in a bit more aggressiveness. I would imagine so. In her words, that he was looking for something, searching for something. Yeah, it had to be a tough time for a uh, well, for sure. Young boy, I mean, you know, it was tough. Just when he was starting to get to know, you know, Julia as a teenager. We don't know what John knew and when John knew it. You know, right? He knew that it was his aunt Mimi, but when did he actually know that Julia was his mother? And when did he, we, we think it's not until he was, you know, later, at least, you know, 13, 14, 15, when he started visiting with Julia. Yeah, it had to be so, so confusing. 
so confusing for a, a young boy. I've been reading biographies of several other figures from the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned the Tony King biography. It's amazing how many of the pop culture figures were in exactly that same position. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the who they thought was their mother wasn't actually their mother, or the, their real mother would die young on them, or they lost both their parents. I mean, wow. You look at the four Beatles. George is the only one who really would have both of his parents all the way through growing up. Yeah, I guess so. And a lot of things back then people just didn't talk about. And then the Second World War probably didn't help matters yeah. either. Yeah, a little distraction there, folks. <laughs> we move on from there. We get a little bit of black and white footage of the Larry Parn stable. Our old friend Johnny Gentle. Yeah, oh, Johnny and his gang. <laughs> and they didn't mention the, the Beatles tour of Scotland, which was, uh, I would have found a way to mention that in there. You got Johnny Gentle, so, but they kind of use yeah. that as, the, yeah. as saying, you know, here, here's the coming of rock and roll. And so John Lennon was off to Hamburg. At that point in this show, when I was watching it, it's like, where are you going with this? Is this, again, a Beatles story or is it John Lennon exclusively? Why are they showing these other people for? <laughs> they are using lots of bits and pieces of incidental footage to kind of tell the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. So we, we go into Hamburg. We get footage we've seen before, which is stock footage yeah. of early 1960s Hamburg in color. Hamburg, red light district. The Grossi Fry Height, yes. Yeah. And we get Hunter Davies. I was wondering who that was. I didn't realize till later in the show that was Davies. They don't identify him until no. the third time he appears. I thought to myself, well, that has to be Hunter Davies, you know? And it was, but they didn't, it, like you said, it was later in the show when they mentioned his name. When he first comes, he's, he's talking about the first time he went to Hamburg and the first time he met Astrid. I've got a huge collection of Beatles memorabilia, and this is one of my proudest possessions. This is a photograph taken off John in 1960 by Astrid Kirchner. I interviewed her in 1967 and she had no money. She was working in a lesbian club in Hamburg and I interviewed her and I got a whole story of how she came to meet the Beatles and she was sitting on these photographs which are now world famous and so she signed it to me. Astrid Kirchner to my dear old cheeky thing, friend, Hunter, with lots of love. I actually think the photographs that she took are the best photographs ever, ever, of the Beatles. Through the 60s, Astrid was married to Gibson of Patty Klaus and Gibson. She had a musician husband for a while. Hunter goes on to tell how Astrid told him the complete story of how she met the Beatles. And that would really be the first time that we would hear that story is yeah. the authorized biography. And he didn't overly clean it up. He cleaned it up a bit. Just enough to tantalize you. <laughs> Hunter's big prize is a really nice print that Astrid gave him and signed. That is photograph number three. Astrid signed it to her old friend. Hunter is a bit older than everybody else, but not that much. When did she give this to him? In the 60s? I mean, it would have to be 66 or 67. So he was old. He was at least 28 years old at the time. I would guess this was part of his research for the authorized biography. 
You know what they say, if you were 30 years old, you were really old back then. <laughs> we see the photos of Paul and Hunter in 68. He doesn't look like exceedingly old, yeah. but yeah, I, okay. I mean, yes, Astrid was just a kid and it was meant as a gentle jest, but yeah. it's just kind of funny. But that photo is a really, really beautiful photograph. It's the photo of John where Stuart is in the background holding his guitar. I'm glad they found a way to get an image of Stuart in here, although I would have liked a little bit more talk about Stuart. I would have liked a little bit more talk about Paul, too, for that matter. You don't get that much about how these guys would influence John Lennon. Well, they're assuming we know that already. Perhaps. But I mean, you know, all of Astrid's photos are great. The Funfair one is certainly amongst the best, but this is also one of the really great photos that this Astrid was, took. This was like 1960. Hambring 1960. And there's also another one, which is Paul instead of John in there. And that also looks really cool. With Wearing their leather jackets and their slick back hair, teddy boy hair. There's your DA. Yeah, that's it. And they make a point of mentioning that John had his collar up. He was just trying <laughs> to look cool. And he succeeded. He did. <laughs> then we jump right from there into Beatlemania. Yeah, we start a plunge in from 1960 to 63, 64, somewhere. <laughs> you only have 10 photos, but I think I might have taken one of the ones from later on out and put in maybe one of the famous ones uh, you know in the Pierre Car dancers maybe maybe the one with the stuffed toy or you know one of the here are the Beatles and right. John Lennon right. as a part of this group because that was a significant chunk of his life and you don't really get all that much of it here Again, they had to choose 10 photos. They probably had other photos, but then it, go, it has to correlate to who's speaking a bit to the photo, who's the person who's going to talk about it. That is true as well, yes. So we get a little bit of Mersey sound, you know, the, the, yeah. the interviews with John Lennon, uh, you know, when's the bubble going to burst kind of questions. We get a little bit of Beatles Come to Town, the very famous color footage. They have overdubbed. They didn't get music rights. Uh, no, they did not. <laughs> They're not blatant about either here's a sound like band or here's just, just really, really generic music. There's bits and pieces, but it's not too bad. No, it's not. You can just dub your own Beatles music in. Play it in the background, you know. They play a bit of an interview clip where Cynthia is introduced as being John's wife. It's one we're, we're all familiar with. Who? Who? Ringo, they're not supposed to know he's married. Right. The narrator gets a cheeky little quip. The story of the Beatles' meteoric rise to fame following their rock and roll apprenticeship in Hamburg is well known. Put simply, John's band, now with a full-time drummer called Ringo Starr, got very big very quickly. Implying that Pete was just a part-timer. They just really skipped over a lot of stuff like that. I got that impression, too, about that part-time drummer. I said, well, Pete was not a part-time drummer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we move on. Photo four is Weybridge, Surrey, 1960. It's another photo that we're all pretty familiar with, uh, where John is holding the garden hoe, Cynthia is holding a mop, and little Julian is in her lap with a... Uh, jam tart in his hands another actual color photo who took this photo isn't i think that's bob whitaker who took this photo whitaker yeah because he took photos like that 
with yeah. stuff, you know, lying around the decapitated baby dolls and so forth. <laughs> I like the way John has his hand placed on Julian's <laughs> head there. He's like resting his hand. <laughs> exactly. One of his legs or is resting on the chair <laughs> that Cynthia's on. Helen Anderson is back because, of course, she was there around that time. Yeah. Uh, she describes how thrilled they were when they found that house. Oh, married bliss that was. That's what Cynthia was dreaming of. A beautiful house in the country where she could eventually go back to her painting and John would go back to his writing and drawing and everything else and they wouldn't need money to live on because they'd made it in five years with the Beatles, you see. She thought, you know, this, this is a five-year phenomenon. And in five years, you know, we'll have our own life back again. I always thought that John was never real pleased with living in the stockbroker belt. And she did say he was very rich, very <laughs> this famous. Is, this is true. I mean, they weren't millionaires yet, though. No, but all I had to do is say, <laughs> I, I want a house. And it would appear, yes. Yeah. You know, Helen Anderson has an interesting statement about what Cynthia was thinking. Cynthia was saying, oh, you know, it's only got to go on five years and then, then we'll have enough money to live for the rest of our lives. And I can go back to my painting and then we'll have our own lives back again. It's like... Cynthia just really didn't get it, did she? Well, you know, that was what she thought, you know. They, everybody thought the bubble was going to burst in just a few years. She wasn't expecting John to venture off and be John. After Astrid, why didn't she? I mean, it seems obvious to us now from this point of view. Well, she was so naive. Yeah. She was very naive. You know, John wasn't Ringo. Ringo was happy with Maureen as just a Liverpool girl. Yeah, John wasn't going to, you know, stay around too much longer after this. John talks about the house. He says, you know, look at all these rooms I've got. And the smallest one is the one that I get to play <laughs> guitar in. I thought that was funny. We move on from there to Chicago in 1966. They're really talking about the bigger than Jesus stuff. We get John Harris. Been a while since we've seen him. They've got a photo from 66 of John backstage with a drink and a cigarette. Looking pretty bummed out. We got all those photos of John from Paul in the Eye of the Storm book. This doesn't seem that much different than some of those, you know? Yeah. You really like that photo of John with the glasses in the back of the car. Yeah. That's not much different than this. Again, it's just a snapshot. I mean, he could have been laughing out loud, for all we know. And then the, they take this picture, and it looks like he's looking down on the floor. He looks depressed. It, yeah. it illustrates the point they're trying to make. But as far as realistically, I don't know whether I believe that or not. Yeah. But it, it is certainly... A tough time for John Lennon, and he's getting ready to go out and make this apology. As far as what was actually going through John's head, we don't know. John was very much, when he was concentrating, he would draw into himself. If they were to do this today, I almost think they might have included one of those snaps that Paul had in the Eye of the Storm book. Shortly after this photograph, he probably made a funny face at the photographer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They won't show exactly. that picture. <laughs> <laughs> no. It wouldn't make the point like you just said to what they were trying to make. I'm not even sure he's aware he's having this photograph taken. I think he's too wrapped up in what he's going through to even notice the photographer or the, the click of the shutter. He knows he's having his photograph <laughs> taken. I mean, oh, you know, yeah, he, was, he was able to zone out, but John always knew. He knew where the camera was, and when he wanted to act up for it, he would. Yeah. So Maureen <laughs> Cleave, you know, the bigger-than-Jesus story. 
Yeah, they had some film footage of that. The best place for that is probably U.S. versus Sean Lennon. For the first time, we got color footage of this. Most of what we got was just black and white footage, but yeah. somebody had a color camera there. But what's interesting to me about this is not the cigarette and it's not the beverage. It's just the way the phone and the lamp are kind of sitting there shining its light on John. It's, it's, it's artistic almost without meaning to be. Yeah, it's like Meet the Beatles, you know? Yeah, kind of. One side is, you know, light. The other side is rolled shadowed. A bit more on Tony Barrow. They describe the 66 tour as being their most chaotic yet. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was certainly when we're talking about Manila. But Australia 64 was almost more chaotic, I would think. It was good chaotic. The chaos here was very much a negative thing. But just in terms of the descriptions, like, I don't know if I quite agree with that. I mean, they weren't burning f- albums in Australia. <laughs> they were burning albums in the South in, in the U.S. <laughs> we get all that footage, the business about the bonfires and what was going on. Yeah, the typical stuff. I guess for a British audience, it might be more something that needs to be presented to them. Here, I don't know. As an American watching this... I, it's a story we all know pretty well, and you're really probably not going to do a better job of it than Complete Beatles. But this was for the BBC audience. Exactly. We kind of skip from there right through to 1969. Oh, yeah. They zoom past 67, 68. I would have put the famous psychedelic photo of John with the dove yeah. in oh, between here. Yes. Yeah. Maybe even in place of this Chicago photo, I would have used that? that one. Chicago's photo number five, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. That is kind of the last real Beatles photo we get because photo number six, while it was in the Beatle era, it's a John and Yoko photo. Yeah, this was 69 and it's they were posing in front of that car that they had the uh, the wreck. We know the story of the accident. They're using this photo to discuss Yoko's entrance. Here is Yoko. On. Yeah, they could have put one from January of 69 because this happened in the summer of 69. This was while they were getting ready to record Abbey Road. Yeah. That's why Yoko was in the bed. They do make an interesting point about how Yoko was really not well after the accident. A lot of people still laugh and say, oh, why is Yoko in the... Oh, she was in the bed because she had to be in the bed. No. She was not well. She got banged around a bit, I guess. Just looking at the car, looking at that photograph, they had a head-on collision there with whatever they hit. As we know, John Lennon was a terrible driver. Rather than this photo, I might have used the one where we see Julian and Kyoko in the kilts. That was before the accident. That was before the accident. So, I mean, it's not bad. Uh, I have no argument with using this photo. It it does illustrate what they want to illustrate. Well, they're in good spirits in the photograph. John's given the peace sign. Yoko looks a little bit legally drugged up, I think. (laughs) Painkillers or whatever they were on at the time. Exactly. So we heard this story that they actually had the, the crash vehicle mounted on cement blocks and well so here it is yeah we get a little bit of the abbey road story they don't really mention get back they also sort of obliquely mention what was going on in get back but mostly this is kind of here is the introduction of yoko ono into john lennon's life we we get a little bit of a cut piece which we've seen before yeah speaking of the vehicle before we leave that picture is that vehicle somewhere today 
that can be seen? I think they finally had it crushed into a cube. Oh, like back then or recently? Sometime in the 70s. Okay. It's paperweight somewhere then. (laughs) I believe that was the final disposition of that car. Okay. Just curious. We can move on now. We get Dan Richter. Dan Richter, who was Yoko's personal assistant. Yoko and John fell in love. I mean, they were like, it's like Romeo and Juliet. I've never seen two people who were more in love with each other. And when that guy came up on the TV screen, I thought it was Dana Carvey at first. <laughs> like an older Dana Carvey. Dan Rector, who lived his own interesting <laughs> life, he's one of the ape guys in 2001. He yeah. was a friend of Yoko. And he mentions that John and Yoko had invited them to come and live with them at the house because Yoko didn't have anybody else. Money came by your friends, folks. <laughs> John had a lot of baggage and Yoko just took care of the noise of the world around him. She just stepped into that void and stood out in front, which gave him a kind of freedom. He saw himself as an artist now in a way he had never done before. And Yoko was responsible for that. Yeah. I don't know if Yoko was completely responsible, but she was certainly part of it. Interesting. We move on to Leon and Michael Wilde. Poor Leon. Leon just passed away. Yeah, that's what I thought. He was kind of not looking too good in this interview. As Ringo said, being old kind of takes up all your time. It must have been in his 90s, I would think. He looked like he fell asleep in one of those interviews. <laughs> I was like, is he asleep? You know, That's what it, it looks like. He had a son with him at the time of the interview. Leon Wiles was born in 1933. But, you know, I do think uh, he was well into his decline when they filmed yeah, this. Yeah, he certainly was. But it's still good to see him, and, I, and I'm glad that they got him for this documentary. He was able to tell a few stories. He was very proud of the work he did for John Lennon, and, you know, some of the really good things we get out of immigration law these days are a direct result of what Leon did with John Lennon. I mean, Oh, nice. Did a good job. What we get is we get a photo from 1972 where John and Yoko are identically dressed, a suit coat, a shirt, and a tie. I never really noticed that. But you're right. They make a point yeah. of it in the documentary. Yeah. I mean, I've seen bit. this photo many times. It never registered that they were identically dressed. Yeah. It is early on in the immigration case. So they talk a little bit about the deportation order and, and the whole bit about Nixon and what was going on in, in Vietnam. And then it comes around to, well, Yoko still had a daughter here. Yeah. Which is another reason why I would have liked that Julian and Kyoko photo, because then it would make sense when we're talking about this. That would have been a better transition. Nothing against the photo they chose, but I think that one might have been a little bit better. We get that, which leads into the whole immigration story. Being investigated by the FBI. One of the real prescient quotes that we did get from Leon is that he, meaning John, was concerned about helping Yoko. That's what really impressed me. And then they have an interview from the time where someone asks about, uh, isn't this search for Kyoko costing you a lot of money? And, you know, John just turns around and, and says, I don't care. I guess I'll just have to keep on singing. Yeah. That was a really great line. Just keep singing. Sing for money. That then leads into the Troubadour and the Lost Weekend incident. Yeah, that comes up pretty quick. Bob Harris talking about uh, the uh, whiskey and you know what was going on during the Lost Weekend. And, well... We get another photo, which we're all really familiar with, a very <laughs> drunk Harry Nilsson and John and May Pang making out behind him. Yep. 
They're uh, lip to lip. <laughs> <laughs> That's butter number eight. And, you know, we get to uh, and there's learn a-, <laughs> a little bit about what was going on with John in his head at that time. Uh, there's a picture of Peter Lawford in the back, too. He's over in the back left Somewhere. of this photo, yes. And he also looks out of it. <laughs> his head, his uh, eyes are rolled up in his head. <laughs> we get the story about John and Harry getting into a fight and John losing his glasses and it all goes a bit crazy yeah well as soon as you mention the tubador and lennon you know it's not going to be a good story <laughs> this is true and they, and they didn't they didn't mention the cotex and they also didn't mention the late tommy's mother's yeah you're right he passed away recently he passed away recently yeah like so a couple of weeks ago as covered in part two of our look back which you didn't get to stick around for you had to catch an uber that's right I was on my way home. (laughs) (laughs) So Mark comes back, Mark Lewison. If you needed one picture to sum up that period of time when John was without Yoko, this is the picture. What is he? He's 33 years old at this point. And it really could have caused trouble for John because the American government was trying to throw him out of the country at this point. And had this become uh, a big court, you know, a prosecution, it would have looked very bad for John. But... Fortunately, no one prosecuted him and he got away with it. And it just became kind of like the emblematic night of what he called his lost weekend. No one was injured in the making of this photo, folks. (laughs) But they were extremely induced by alcoholic (laughs) beverages. And John lost his glasses. They made a little noise and they got some people upset at them and they got into a fight and John lost his glasses and John apparently went wild angry he was always bigger and stronger when he was drunk but he just lost his mind completely once his glasses were torn off his head yeah everything was blurry definitely even more so we get a quote which is a little bit another gee I don't know that's kind of oversimplifying things we go through from here into John's Return to the Dakota, and it's implied that Yoko was just sitting around waiting for John to get it all out of his system. I really don't believe that. Well, we heard the other story. From everything we know, I think Yoko could have gone either way. I think John did what he needed to do to get back in Yoko's good graces, but I don't think Yoko was sitting around saying, oh, yeah, you know, he'll he'll be ready for me eventually. Yeah, because he moved back to New York, not with her. And she was having an affair, right? During the last weekend, yes. Yoko was having her own thing. That whole period is still a little bit strange, but it does seem like the whole story, which which they also don't cover here. If you had more than 10 photos, I would have chosen the Gardenia photo from backstage. But I don't think I would necessarily replace any of these with that one. No, this is a great photograph. Number nine, the number nine photograph. Number nine is a very suitable photo. We get a bit more uh, with Leon because, well, on John's birthday, on the ninth, on the day Sean was born, John won his case. They called up John and, you know, everyone was really happy. The, The thing that amazed me about that is, you know, here was a not quite smooth delivery going on and apparently yoko asked the wilds to send over 
the court documentation, and she was reading it <laughs> while she was in labor. <laughs> Take her mind off things. Let me read this court document. That kind of just really amazed me. Tough woman. Apparently so. So well. now we're on to, to picture number nine. It's New York, 1975. John, Yoko, and baby Sean. This was them taking the photos for the family. Very nice, lovely photo. It's in their bedroom. John is in a kimono, and Yoko is, is in a very nice-looking white robe. I like Bob Gruen's comment. Well, Yoko had many more relatives than John did. That's why they dressed that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Infant Sean. Baby Sean. Who they described as being roughly the size of a football. He was tiny. His whole head is basically up against John's cheek there, and it's like... It's a beautiful photograph, though. We see inside their bedroom at the Dakota, Bob Gruen tells us that uh, the main thing I think about this photo is that how happy John looks. And he does look happy. He looks amazingly happy. This grin on his face, smiling, top of the world with his baby. Uh, yeah. This kind of inner joy was new, and he was feeling it very, very deeply. Absolutely. A lot of people still dig into me. It's like, well, why don't you believe me? Well, it's not that I don't believe me, but you got things like this. John was happy when he was back with Yoko, period. Yeah, yeah, very much so. This is the kind of photo that any parent with a new baby would want to have. They're fortunate that they had professional photographer Bob Gruen come in and take it, but it's perfect photo. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. And, and John just looks glad that things have turned around. You know, he, he's happy at the place he's in. Well, again, this was uh, October, maybe November. Sean was probably still a few weeks. Yes. So Sean was born on John's birthday. Yes. So, you know, probably before the holidays. So first or second week in November, yeah. maybe. He wasn't going to record music at that point. And they kind of don't go into that. But I mean, it's sort of implied in what they're talking about with this photo. The house husband thing came out of the fact that John was ready to spend time as a dad with his family for yeah. a little while. But didn't he, he did record with Ringo in 76, did he not? Yeah. I mean, cooking. A little bit. Yeah. But, you know, he, but he didn't record himself, obviously. Obviously, he was fooling around with demos and things like that. But as far as in the studio, no, he wouldn't go back in the yeah, studio until 1980. He didn't have a record deal and nothing to. He was in bind. Yeah. That was part of what allowed him to do that was the fact oh. that he was free of any contractual obligations oh. for a little while. So free as a bird. <laughs> All right. And now. The one which I absolutely would not have included, although I understand why they did. The final photo from their set here, New York, December 8th, 1980. Well, I mean, it's it's the one where John is signing for that guy. And I'm glad they blurred out that guy. I think there is like one yeah. shot where he's, you can kind of yeah. see. But yeah. for the most part, they, they center in on John in that photo. But just the presence of it kind of... Uh, yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah, it's no. just... It's, you know, it's dark. It's sad. It just, you know, for us Beatle fans, it's just not a happy time what does mark lewis say mark lewis said no good comes of this picture oh and he's no, right you he know is very much so for the purpose of the special i would have gone with the y photo the fan with the sign with the the love song well, sean with just the single word y underneath you know yeah. you know which photo i'm talking yeah about. oh yeah i think that's kind of much more representative of the day and doesn't bring up some of these negative if you're going to end it like that 
or you could end it just John in the studio. I tried to get into that Apple TV thing, and it is very well done. There are lots of really good interviews, but I just couldn't make it through the first part. I didn't want to relive that whole scenario. I put yeah. it on, and I yeah. and I said, okay, I can watch this objectively. I can't. No, neither could I. I watched a few seconds of it. The one and only thing I will say is they did a good job. They yeah. interviewed people, and they probably have things which i've never heard before but i don't want to hear those details so that's photo number 10 you know they talked to a lot of the different people they've talked to throughout the special and all of them are kind of negative on this photo and they should be <laughs> to this day i hate looking at this photograph who knows what he would have gone on to say do and achieve i think the world would now be genuinely a better place for his influence. You know, he's amazing. He's a tremendously charismatic, talented, magnetic personality. The songs he writes are incredible. But at the same time, because he's so honest recurrently, you're aware of all his flaws as well. It's all there. So he sort of affirms the fact that none of us are perfect and that, you know, there might be no such thing as superstars or icons, you know, everyone's a human being. He had a kind of integrity and honesty and a truth about everything he did that meant that he was able to communicate to people's hearts and their souls, not just to their minds. That is the 10 photos. Which ones would you have replaced? I mean, you know, like I say, the I certainly would have replaced the last one, and I told you the one I would have chosen. I think I probably would have replaced the, the smash car with the one with Julian and Kyoko, and I would have probably replaced one of the others with the, uh, the 68 photo, the psychedelic, John. I would have replaced the last photo with a, a photo of Lennon playing... In the studio at record plant recording double fantasy and uh i guess that may pang photo from 74 would replace that one with i don't know there's really too many photos maybe of him and paul <laughs> in malibu their selection again with the exception of the last one which they chose for a reason is not bad it's just you know as i've mentioned i think it's a little light on beatles stuff to be honest with you oh well you only got 10 photos one hour <laughs> five minutes for each or so, right roughly yeah, five that, minutes that is true i mean you know, as as we said but for someone who doesn't know or who just really wants to learn a little about the story the general audience i think it's a good selection and yeah. i think they told the story as well as they could within an hour you could do a documentary on any single one of these photos no certainly they had other i'm sure photos that they considered and i like to see some of those photos that they would have considered when you're limiting yourself to 10 photos okay all right you know they did not do badly and it's a pretty good documentary as i said 
Yeah, I would agree. So it is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, as Lonnie says, if you want beyond the first season, you will have to subscribe to, uh, I think it's BritBox is the, is it? thought- is the sub-service, which includes oh, okay. that BritBox, which is okay. you know, BBC on Amazon Prime. BBC uh, Select, I thought. Is, 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 have yeah. they changed the name? It, one of those. Anyway, yeah. it is BBC on Amazon Prime. It may be BBC B Select. It may be BritBox. And it's not a bad uh, thing if you want to subscribe because there is a lot of documentaries and shows on that there is a fair bit of yes bbc stuff particularly if you're looking for non-beatles stuff yeah there's not a whole lot of beatles stuff this is the only one i saw that was beatles related if you're specifically looking for beatles stuff the music i forget what they call it the the music documentary service on there might be more to your tastes but uh, if you are an anglophile if you like british stuff even just the rest of this series I haven't subscribed, but I might subscribe for a month or two somewhere because, you know, I really would like to see the Carrie Fisher and the Robin Williams one of these. Hmm. I did a trial yeah. <laughs> subscription. Well, you, you, do, you do get a trial. So yeah, I, mean, I got six maybe, days left. Six days left. <laughs> maybe when they come out with the next season of this, which, well, hopefully will be this year sometime. It's only uh, a few dollars a month, I think, like $4 a month, $5 a month. Not too bad. Well, next week we've got Martin back and we're going to finish out the uh mccartney life and lyrics season one podcast all right i look forward to that and then after that you'll be around for uh the underdub band on the run lonnie or you don't know yet i should be yeah we'll see i'm gonna etch it in my uh my outlook calendar and then well we'll figure out what's going on after that that's our immediate plans and we will Be back next week with McCartney Life and Lyrics, episodes 9 through 12, the end of season one of that podcast. And the new episode of Toppermost is out uh, December 1963. We close out 1963, the the American charts. Oh, I need to catch up with that. I'm behind a couple of months, but (laughs) I'll catch up. I've been out on the road quite so much. Yeah, I will be next month (laughs) all right thanks everybody talk to you soon yeah be safe folks subscribe to when they was fab on itunes podbean stitcher or wherever finer podcasts are found please join our facebook group and we could be reached at when they was fab and on gmail the opening theme was written produced and recorded by jay young kim Easter Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Initiated the move to start going and seeing his mum, basically from school, because what we used to do, we used to uh, play truant from school, and this was like a safe house to go to, you know. I mean, John used to go down there first, and he'd, I'd say, where have you been to? You know, he'd say, I've been down to my mum's, you've got to come down, right? So one day he took me down to meet her, and uh, she opened the door, and the first, this was the first meeting I'd had with her, and the door opened, and there's this, like, slip of a woman in her, what, I don't know, early, mid-30s or something, 
but looking very young. And she's got a pair of knickers on her head. Um, <laughs> apparently, this is something that she used to do. She used to pick up anything that was handy if she was doing the dusting. She used to flit round the house with a feather duster and sing away and had record player and uh, speakers in each room, um, which was a great thing for us in those days. But I went into the room. She welcomed us in. Great to see you. She didn't care less about us, you know, playing true. And she wanted to, in fact, used to virtually encourage us to come again tomorrow if you can, lads, you know. And uh, I went in, she said, and John said, this is, this is Peter. So, oh, this is Pete. She said, oh, fantastic. And she came rushing over to me. And I thought she was just going to shake hands or say hello or something like that. Instead of that, she ran her hands up and down her hips and she said, oh, isn't he lovely? Hasn't he got lovely hips, you know? And I turned to John and said, hey, this is great to hear, right? She's terrific. Um, you could see directly where John got his humour and his love of life from. She was always saying to us, look, don't worry about it, you know, it'll be okay, don't worry about tomorrow, just have a good time today, that's all that matters. It was her attitude about life, her philosophy about life, her fun and her, and a love of, of laughing. That, that I mean, she used to wear these spectacles with no glasses in, you know, and like people come to the door to collect bills like the bread man or something and she'd just talk to them and stick a finger through her, through the frame and start rubbing her eye and it just used to, people just look at her, they couldn't believe it, you know, she was just crazy and that's where John got his humour from, without a doubt, but he discovered a relationship that, that he hadn't had before. Um, it was a relationship that was very close because it had been developed um, not from a childhood thing but from um, a different level um, and he'd, he was incredibly fond of his mother very very close to her you know he's amazing he's a tremendously charismatic talented magnetic personality the songs he writes are incredible but at the same time because he's so honest recurrently, you're aware of all his flaws as well. It's all there. So he sort of affirms the fact that none of us are perfect and that, you know, there might be no such thing as superstars or icons, you know, everyone's a human being. He had a kind of integrity and honesty and a truth about everything he did that meant that he was able to communicate to people's hearts and their souls, not just to their minds. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. <laughs> 